This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. They know you're here for good content, so they're not going to waste your time with a long pitch. Here are the three things you need to remember and know about Iron Source. Number one, they're developing the most robust data-driven growth engine for mobile games. Number two, their secret sauce is closing the monetization marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth. And number three, they have an awesome Medium blog and podcast called Level Up. You can find it on Medium by searching for Iron Source Level Up. Thanks. This podcast episode is also brought to you by AppsFlyer. Most of you are probably already familiar with AppsFlyer. It's perhaps one of the best attribution platforms on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive marketing success. AppsFlyer allows comprehensive measurement and analytics that helps you to optimize the end-to-end player journey from acquisition to retention, from ROI to LTV. In practice, this means filtering cohorts of installs and then retargeting those cohorts with personalized experience based on engagement and in-app events. AppsFlyer also offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for bogus traffic. Playrex, Tencent, Playtika, Square Enix, and Huge are among the many games companies that all use AppsFlyer to boost their business. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution data you can trust. Thanks. Yo, everybody. Welcome to Twig number 80. Today, we've got myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, Eric Kress. What's up, guys? What's going on? Nanamucho is still stuck down here in the basement, waiting for the uh, the world to open up again. You know, but man, San Francisco was absolutely beautiful over the weekend. Like it was insane. I went on an hour long bike ride through like down the beach, Golden Gate Park. It's just unbelievable. So I hope this weather continues. I think I'm going to go on a bike ride today after this. So stay home, man. It's the law. What are you doing? F that dude. I, I could not believe it. I'm riding my bike at like 15 miles an hour or 20 miles an hour. And this woman that was walking on the sidewalk put up her mask. Yeah. <laughs> like there was any chance that I was going to like infect her in any way. And you're just going to like cough as you go by. Right. And if I had the COVID, I'm not riding my bike 20 miles an hour. Right. You know, come yeah. on, give me a break. Anyway, this is, are there are people here in San Francisco that are absolutely terrified. That is true. But, uh, but it was so beautiful. There were a ton of people out, right? Uh, you know, because they close off both Great Highway as well as the uh, uh, the park, and it's just you know gazillion people out there. So it's really cool. So it, weirdly enough, in LA, right, we've got those highways that basically circle the whole city. Um, all the time, you'll hear just people with their sports cars or like their imported Fast and the Furious like modified cars just ripping it down the highways, right? right. <laughs> <'Cause> it's <laughs> the only you time, basically, like a, a whole racetrack around the city, and they're like, "This is the one time, yeah, it's a it. full loop." Exactly, the <laughs> only time in traffic. the history of LA that, the, that it wasn't too crowded to drive your car 100 miles an hour. Nice, yeah, awesome. How about you, Joe Kim? Just hanging out. Playing a lot of mobile games, about to hit console soon. So, got to reactivate my Xbox Live Gold. But yeah. I've been playing, again, continuing to play the division. I actually, I think I'm a little bit wrong on this game. I, I do think the end game is, is kind of broken in the sense of progression. But in terms of like creating things to do, I think they've done a pretty good job of, of building out like weekly activities that keep you kind of engaged with the content. So, I don't know. I, uh, or maybe it's just because. I have that kind of addictive personality, but I, I, I do think it's, it's kind of, like, I think the game design has improved dramatically. If they, if they improve the, uh, the progression systems at the end, end game, I think that would make this game a home run. 
or the game design, right? Like the, the new end game, instead of focusing on like huge one-off handcrafted raids, right? They just build all these, like they just make shit harder, right? Like they just like throw in some bosses, just give people things that are more difficult than they, than they have before. Right. <laughs> That's all people want. They don't want amazing puzzles. They just want more difficult things. Yeah. yeah. All right. Jumping into updates. So first, Apps Flyer is reporting that mobile game revenue has risen 35% since February. I'm sure many of you are already aware that not all games have benefited equally. However, it's pr- pretty clear lockdowns have been a major tailwind for games. And most of the folks that I'm talking to are basically reporting something around 20 to 30% increase in downloads. Kind of more mixed bag from a revenue perspective but and, and a delayed impact, but uh, definitely seeing a revenue impact as well, although not probably as strong as the download impact. But for certain types of games, the, the gains are disproportionate, especially socially oriented games like poker games, as we found out for anyone who listened to the Social Casino podcast. We also covered Bunch here on this podcast before, who's been a very big beneficiary of this stuff. And we also talked about Epic's House Party. And outside of games, the other area that I'm hearing that has really gone through the roof are like kids' education apps. Uh, Some of those apps have had their Dow increase by over 15 times. And revenue, I'm hearing, is just shooting through the roof. Second update, if you haven't already heard, Legends of Runeterra by Riot is now fully released on mobile and PC. The launch video trailer is super dope, so the push to mobile from Riot is definitely in full effect. And I actually think that there may be a bit of a halo effect here from this game back to the other game. So one of the things that we've seen on mobile is that one game launch of the same IP benefits the others. Uh, this was first publicized by EA in a Gama Sutra article back in the day during the launch of PVZ Heroes, and it showed a massive beneficial impact for PVZ too. But we've seen this time and time again. And I know we've talked a lot about cannibalization here on this podcast, but I don't think we've talked as much about launch Halo. So when Warner Brothers Harry Potter game came out. The Jam City guys were celebrating for their Harry Potter game because it brought a ton of installs. And that kind of boost can be very significant. So in my own case, after I played Legends of Runeterra, not only did I go back and play Hearthstone, but you know it's been over 10 years since I played League of Legends. And I went back and I used to have like three or four accounts. I noticed they changed the whole account system, all that kind of stuff, but I went back and played that as well. So definitely think that the halo effect of launching new games is certainly something that we could talk about more as well. One last update from my side is to check out the latest Deconstructor of Fun blog post, Deconstructing the Success and Future Outlook on Supercell. This post was written by Mishka and a mystery guest author who we can't reveal the identity of, but please do check it out at deconstructoroffun.com. And Adam, I know you've got a few updates as well. Well, hold on, hold on. Before you go on that, guest artist or author. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I I want to just comment on this uh, Supercell article, which I actually read this morning. Which oh, okay, because I really don't read that much clearly. Um, But uh, it was actually really good, despite the title, which I was I was a little bit charged charged by. But uh, (laughs) the um, the actual contents were really relatively balanced um, and clearly showing, you know, the deceleration of their revenue and, and earnings uh, power uh, as a company. But, uh, you know, I think Mishka just has this like 
total love for Supercell that is, uh, you know, <laughs> forever. I but, think everybody uh, loves Supercell. I, know, right? I think so. I think Everyone does. The industry loves Supercell. <laughs> yeah, I know. Eric no, one, no one seems to have any objectivity when it comes to Supercell is what I'm trying to say. But uh, ultimately, uh, there was a pretty, really good article about where they are and where they're likely going. And, and, um, and I agree with his kind of assessments on what their strategy should be, like acquisition and that sort of thing and, and building up their empire. But, uh, but that's me. Anyway. Good article, Mishka, uh, and whoever your mystery guest is, or who, who I don't even know. So, anyway, Adam. Yeah. Um, quick updates from me. GDC Summer has now turned into a digital conference. Um, I think we called this a while back, but I think it's, yeah, it's a shame. But uh, I think this summer conference, even if it went on, would have been a shell of the original conference. Um, and I think the digital is the right call given the situation. Uh, Stadia has announced that EA is bringing FIFA, Madden, and Fallen Order to Stadia this fall. Um, this signals to me that Stadia is getting a lot more serious with developers and getting the games they need uh, for the platform. Um, and reading into the impact, um, if you remember a couple podcasts ago, we talked about Stadia going free for all Gmail users, uh, giving away an offer of about two months of free Stadia Pro. Um, they managed to get a jump of about a million new signups and about 225k installs across iOS or iOS and Android, um, which, at least from my point of view, is pretty paltry um, to where they actually need to be. Uh, Eric, yeah, I uh, I've been saying this for a long time. Like sports is absolutely critical, right? You cannot have a gaming system without some type of sports representation, and the fact that EA has not participated up to this point. Is clearly, in my mind, just has to do with money, right? So they basically up the ante on the dollars in order to get EA on board, full stop, like that. I don't think there's any other way of of, of pitching this. But at this point, I think it's likely very irrelevant, right? What they're going to do on the content side. I just don't think you're going to see much growth here. If they, you know, one million is just tiny. That's like nothing. Uh, and with the amount of churn that you see within these services of people trying and bailing out. Uh, within the next couple of months, you know, it's likely to be far lower than even the million. So, you know, and, and, and basically at the end of the day, all the issues around this service have not changed. And, uh, you know, I'd rather not go through it, but if you want me to, I will. <laughs> I mean, should, should I should I just go through exactly why this thing's not going to work, or should we? We, just... we, can, we can, I think we've we've beaten it to death. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so ultimately, I think they basically fold up the tent here and white label this thing and license it to other publishers or other providers in the next twenty four months. Is kind of my guess with uh, this. So there we go. I won't go on the rant again. I just literally did this yesterday with a new client, so I was like, I wrote this down. <laughs> <laughs> so Eric, who's going to be the first white label partner? You know, you know, EA has its own tech. I, I imagine EA would be a good one. That uh, even though they have their own tech, I think Google's tech is probably better. The fundamental problem with Google's tech is that you have to have. I forgot that. I got. I'm. A, it's it's basically Linux based, and so no one's really optimized around Linux for graphics and other and other things. It's it doesn't work well, right? And so, I think. That makes it a challenge even on the white label side because there is development required in order to get their games on, on the service, unlike something like xCloud, which is basically a, a, a similar architecture than, than what people are designing now. So, what about Valve? Yeah, no, Valve makes sense. 
That right, because like Valve already has all that Linux infrastructure but, for a Steam. Line. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the content is optimized against Linux, right? Didn't they no, shut down? They, they've pushed that, but nobody's done it. Yeah, you're right. right. I think either way, if if they're running it all on Linux, then yeah, people are going to end up having to port it. But I think um, if people can already leverage the libraries within Steam, that's at least a pretty big advantage to what Google well, is doing. I don't know exactly how many how much of the library on Steam has been converted over, though. That's the Linux, question. no, not, not very much. But I think so, so um, that's the same a problem. lot of it is is remote playable. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, dude. I think I, it's a tough it's a tough sell because the fundamental problems of it are 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 still the same, right? With this way of delivering content. I mean, the consoles are just a better platform than streaming to deliver this platform, right? Mm-hmm. Fundamental. Sorry, to deliver this content, um, and so it's. You don't, uh, yeah. You don't al- alleviate that issue by, you know, even white labeling it. You know, um, so whatever. I think. <laughs> I, I actually, let's just go move on. <laughs> <laughs> we can go down deep, okay. Um, and last update: my old boss Jens Begeman uh, announced that he's leaving Wuga, and I just want to say that's very well deserved. Uh, he started the company eleven years ago. Uh, went through a lot of ups and downs with Wuga. Um, and I would just say that Wuga is an amazing place to work. I have a lot of fond memories there and I owe a lot of what I know now to what I learned while I was working there. So I just have to give huge kudos to Jens and I hope he takes some time off to relax um, and enjoy his exit. So we're covering three articles today. Xbox Game Pass now has over 10 million subscribers. Secondly, Super Evil Megacorp announces Catalyst Black. And third, Xbox Series X will set, still set to launch on schedule, but games could be delayed. So jumping into the first article, Xbox Game Pass, which has over 10 million subscribers, and this was reported by Gama Sutra. So they are reporting that Xbox chief Phil Spencer has announced that Xbox Game Pass has over 10 million members over 41 countries. Spencer also noted that after joining Game Pass, People play 40% more games, and 90% of members have played a game they wouldn't have tried without Game Pass. Now, how you actually measure that, I have no idea, but that's the claim. So Gamma Sutra also reported that Microsoft content and services revenue had increased by $33 million year over year during the last quarter. And a big part of the increase was due to social distancing and COVID-related lockdowns. So my take on this is that First of all, having been using Game Pass recently, I do have to say it's actually not bad. It's been cool to play games like The Witcher 3 and a bunch of other games I probably wouldn't have played otherwise. So for sure, I don't know where that 90% statistic that they talked about, where that came from, but I actually wouldn't be surprised if it was more like 100%. Now, players with Game Pass may try out some of these games for like 15 to 20 minutes, like I tried like 5, 10 games for basically 15 to 30 minutes and then never play them again. But the ability to trawl games with Game Pass is is definitely a big benefit. The normal cost of Game Pass is $10 a month. So you can imagine that if you play two new release games a year, the price would definitely be worth it. Also, Microsoft has stated to that point that they plan to release all new titles Game Pass on the same day they're released to retail. So for me, as a guy who has bought a bunch of crap games, for example, I just bought Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 for the Nintendo Switch last week, and it was total garbage, just 
totally piece of shit for $60. Wait, wait, why was it so bad? The game itself or yeah, the way Yeah, the played? game's terrible. The, or the way it played on the Switch? I think it it must be the game. I, I mean, I don't have anything else to compare it to, but I did play the first two in the series, which I thought weren't bad on the PlayStation, but this last one was just bad from the, hey, why the did graphics you buy it? to the gameplay. What? Yeah, like, did you, did you read reviews before it? Did you... No, no, I, I based it upon the first two, which weren't bad. Yeah. <laughs> this, this last one's terrible. I don't even know if it's the same developer, but geez, it's kind of hard to screw that up. But <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so given that, in terms of that context, like two games for $60, I can kind of see Game Pass actually making sense to some degree. So, And especially, you know, when my kids get a little older and they're playing more games, I, I think it'd probably be worth it. And even like Sekiro, which is a fantastic game, super high quality, but you know, I played that for a few days and just decided it was too hard. So those kinds of games, I think, would justify Games Pass. But I, I easily could have told you that. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's made by From Software, like Dark Souls. Like don't. <laughs> but don't buy I stuff also, that you don't know. Okay. <laughs> but to to that ten million subscribers number, though. I do think those numbers are inflated. So what Phil Spencer failed to mention is that Xbox has been running this $1 trial membership. That's why I joined. So yeah, sure. You can get Witcher 3 and a bunch of other good titles for a dollar. Yeah, you can get 10 million subscribers. <laughs> so I don't know. Just given my own experience recently, I'm kind of changing my mind in terms of Game Pass where it does feel like it could make sense. Yeah. This post overall, though, just feels a bit suspect. I don't know, like the first number that you saw, uh, I don't know if you read it. This is the one from Microsoft, not the one from Gamasucha, was that there's 23 million new friends generated from Game Pass. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that's, that's the stat you're going to lead with? What kind of vanity stat is that? And a 70% growth in friendship rate. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I would just say like Microsoft, like give some real numbers to give confidence in the platform. Like I think the stuff that I'm really missing, right? Like is, as Eric was talking about, like things like churn to the subscription, but also just in those individual games, like retention, return rates, MTX uplift, right? Like sell to the devs that it's not just like a, a cash deal for old games, but it could be a place for new games to go. Um, and actually have a successful business case, right? And I think like nitpicking aside, and I think you're right, like that 10 million number is definitely inflated. But assuming that these are good subs, right? 10 million is a good number. Um, comparing it to the 90 million Xbox Live MAUs and also comparing it to the hundreds of thousands of people that are now playing the xCloud beta. Like these are all good numbers that are moving in the right direction overall for Microsoft services. Um, so eventually, I think I'll be on the wrong side of this argument that Game Pass is is, is a weird offering. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. Just because you can clearly see that Microsoft is setting themselves up for the future, leaning into services, playing the long game with this generation, and hoping they will win with a growing subscription base over trying to sell hardware and games. Um, but they're willing to lose a lot of units on games like Gears 5 um, and potentially Halo coming up this holiday, right, um, to make Game Pass attractive. Because really, like you think about all those Microsoft launches each year, you're talking about two major releases potentially, right? They have to put that in the Game Pass to make this thing successful. And uh, personally, I have Game Pass. I use it on PC right now. I don't have an Xbox. Um, but I'm also getting a PS5 next generation, so I'm not 
probably not going to use it for console. Um, it's a far stronger offering than PS Now. I think we've ripped into that uh, a couple times in the past. PS Now really only has like two-year-old games, um, and everything of like Spider-Man, etc. Everything is pretty much old and, and purchased already. I mostly use it as kind of a catch-all for games that I've been eyeing on Steam, but never really wanted to invest until a major sale. Um, so Bloodstained, Vigor, uh, Gears 5 are games that I've tried on it, um, which were good to see. But typically, as I said, same thing with you, Joe, like I'll play it for 15, 20 minutes because I just invested so little into it and they aren't really structured to retain players. So overall, it's really not pulling me away from tentpole releases elsewhere, right? Like Valorant, Final Fantasy VII, Doom, Animal Crossing. Like I'm still spending money on those releases and going there. And that's where really my engagement and time is being spent up. Um, the Game Pass is just ending up as this, this catch-all, and I most likely will not continue. Because I just think Game Pass is missing its The Office, right? Um, it's missing services that are locked within it that are going to retain players for the long haul. And I think their attempt with Bleeding Edge just did not cut it. And I also think that like they still need exclusive tent poles within it um, that, that can pull players into the subscription. And I think the Game Pass's versions of Tired King and Stranger Things are just not there yet. Uh, maybe it'll come with Halo this year, but I think as well, they're still selling it across the board and I don't think it'll, it'll pull players in. Eric? Yeah, can I ask a stupid question? If you buy the Game Pass for PC, does that give you the Game Pass for Xbox? I mean, yeah. Are they... yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. All right. <clears throat> so I think, you know, this is kind of Microsoft's biggest competitive advantage this generation. You know, I personally am not too compelled to go out and buy Xbox Game Pass, although I might... <laughs> Just because, I don't know. You spend but, a buck. <laughs> uh, because I, I do think this PC, Xbox, cross-platform play is somewhat valuable to some people. Um, and there may be some of the content that I'm interested in down the line, but I kind of looked through their list of content, which I think is their probably the weakest thing of their of Microsoft's first party. doesn't really grab me too much, but um, but the price seems to be right. So what I really think the potential here is, I think what people should really, really thinking about is how can they leverage this into a new business model, right? So first of all, sorry, I want to step back one more. So we're seeing a lot of marketing and a lot of promotion and a lot of PR from Microsoft right now, while Sony is pretty much quiet, right? Um, for the most part. And so they are trying to push the notion of these subscription services and these extra services and stuff so that it is top of mind from the consumer perspective. Um, and, and I think this does give Microsoft some type of competitive advantage against Sony to some degree, right? So the potential here is for new business models to emerge similar to what you know, the iPhones have done where it's all subsidized, right, to some degree by, by quote unquote, the carrier or Microsoft where you pay a subscription fee upfront and then a subscription fee for the service ongoing. So for example, and this is, I'm literally pulling this out of my butt, but let's say you pay $60 for the new Xbox Series X, um, and then you pay $20 a month for the console and Xbox Live, and then another $25 or an extra $5 a month for Xbox Game Pass. Like that's a super compelling offer to a lot of people, right? I don't know how they would actually structure this and how this would work, and it's likely gonna be something in year two but it could be more of a, a better entry into the market for a broader audience, right? I don't think this kind of correlates to the core all that much because I think they'll buy this stuff anyway. But for more of a mass market model, this could really work um, to some degree. However, the big problem with all this is they really need the content to attract this broader audience. 
you know, Minecraft is definitely the front runner here to create some kind of compelling Minecraft offering that, um, that pushes the service to more of a broader market. But, you know, as I've said before, maybe Nintendo comes into play here and, and they start licensing Nintendo products for this type of service uh, or a separate service on, on the Xbox. Uh, but you kind of need these like, kind of casual style mass market games to pull it off, particularly sports. And as I said earlier, like, you know, with, with Stadia is that sports is critical, right? Sports is a massive market and, and a broad, the broadest market possible. The problem with this is that EA would never put their ser- games on this service here for as part of their Xbox, you know, Game Pass subscription, because it would just devalue their content um, in, in a substantial way. So Anyway, I guess the main point here is that Microsoft is in a position, you know, kind of with their ho- hardware, software service to experiment with this model. And one of the big clear advantages over Sony, because I still think Sony's kind of remains drunk on their own success. Um, and they are basically incentivized to maintain the status quo. And again, I think ultimately, ultimately Sony will likely win on the early part of the cycle. But in the back half, you know, things are kind of up in the air. And, and if, if Microsoft can create a compelling service offering that's subsidized that is subscription with lower price to entry and content that really is appealing to the mass market i think they have a a possibility of kind of gaining back share towards the back half of the cycle all right let's move forward uh super super evil mega corpse cross-platform shooter catalyst black um so super evil mega corp it's the dev behind vainglory um, and since 2012, has raised about 71.5 million on the back of creating mobile esports. Uh, they just announced a new game called Catalyst Black with a trailer. They describe it as a battlegrounds shooter. Um, I see it more as a top-down shooter with MOBA-like mechanics. Um, so think of it kind of like a Brawl Stars on a bigger map, and focusing on 20 versus 20. Uh, competitive play. Um, it is a competitive arena where players have different objectives to do in order to score points for their side. Um, it's not completely clear by the video, and they also seem pretty um, nebulous about like what the actual game is. Right? They just said it will have a ton of different game modes. Um, so yeah, like it's, that's that's pretty much all I can kind of gather from it. Also mentioned that players could really drop in and drop out of a round without any penalty. Um, which I'm not really sure how this is really going to drive much competition. And overall, it looked like they could build... um, It was basically a top-down shooter built using their Vainglory engine, and now it runs on mobile, PC, and console. Um, It's differentiating differentiating elements. Number one, it's called PVEVP, which is (laughs) video game exec talk for how do I fit every acronym possible into a pitch deck. Um... This essentially means that there's like an overarching PvP, player versus player competition, but within that mode, players can engage in combat with AI NPCs on the map and still feel like they're helping their team. That's what I get from that. Um, MOBAs already have this, so it's just interesting to see where they take it and, and why they're really leaning into it as differentiation. But my flag came up when they started mentioning, you know, it's hardcore PvP as this top-down shooter, but we also want to make it so it's hardcore PvE experience in there, citing influences like Destiny and World of Warcraft while talking about an overall PvP experience. And I just fundamentally don't understand how these can mix together. 
Does anybody know the marketing guy at this company, Super Evil Mobile? I got to meet this guy because I, I, he is working overtime. Either the PR guy or the marketing guy are really working overtime in terms of throwing out every freaking possible acronyms and uh, acronyms and creating their own to describe yeah. a game. And I, I don't know if it creates more clarity or more confusion, you know, at the end of the day, right? Yeah. It's like it, it, this might sound great in like a VC pitch, but it's not a game trailer. <laughs> now I'm like, I have no idea what game this is other than uh, a top down shooter. Yeah, no, I, I, I watched the show. I, I watched the video and and uh, and I don't know, dude, I, I, this guy sounds interesting, though, because I think he's super creative and super, you know, he's checking all the boxes. But uh, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But continue. Sorry. Yeah, the number two differentiating element is gear-based over hero-based model. So instead of it being, say, hero-based, which is like there's a massive roster of characters, like a typical MOBA, um, it's more gear-based. So it translates into a loadout that you can control to adjust your character's stats and their abilities. Um, so think more like a division or a destiny where you're equipping weapons, you're equipping masks, you're equipping helms, um, you're equipping bracelets, and those all in summation kind of equate to how your player will, or your character will play. Um, there's even, say, a monster which functions as your special, which has their own loadout. So um, you can turn into this monster, um, and then you can equip that monster with different uh, artifacts. This sounds like a net positive change from my perspective, um, just because I think hero-based models are just not really novel anymore. And I think um, can also have a lot of major issues in your cosmetics economy, as well as um, scale in terms of your live content. Like if you look at Rainbow Six Siege or you look at League of Legends, there's reasons why they've kind of stopped producing heroes um, over time, right? Like, or, or at least those heroes have become less compelling. Um, and it's just because eventually players kind of pick their favorites and and no longer need to pick up new ones. They have to try to go to cheaper cheaper tricks in terms of shifting the meta to make sure that those new characters are as relevant as possible because it's quite difficult to, to scale that model. A gear-based model can then mean that, okay, you launch some new helm, you launch some new weapon, and it's relevant to every type of player instead of the hero-based model. Um, having a deeper loadout system, of course, like makes chase for an optimal loadout deeper. Um, but this only matters if the meta is actually interesting because now when you've got all these pieces, you basically built a hearthstone size puzzle in a top-down shooter uh, to actually try to balance and have a feasible meta. And I think the, the comment in the video is like, we want players to come up with crazy combinations we've never heard of. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But if you've ever balanced a competitive game before, you know how on knife's edge these games can be. And I would just say the gear system just ratchets up that complexity exponentially to actually have a properly balanced game and keep it competitive. Um, so I, I think it, again, is just kind of at odds in terms of, do you want this to be a PvP game or do you want this to be a PvE game? And I, overall, I'm definitely interested in trying this out. I think they've got an open or a closed beta or alpha coming up. Um, there is some big, bold decisions and designs here that I'd love to actually see and, and see if they can actually solve some of these issues. I thought I thought like I thought the character based um, chase was like a, the biggest one of the biggest components of some of these games like League in terms of yep. acquiring the characters and stuff. So you pull that out, and you're basically talking about the chase is like a helm, right, <laughs> or a, ch a chest plate or whatever. Like that doesn't seem nearly as compelling as collecting characters. 
No, no, you're right. Like it breaks up that that chase, right? But if you think even like League of Legends before, uh, besides spending money on directly on buying a character that you want, you could get shards. Those shards allow you to eventually get the characters that you want, right? Those were all in loot boxes. I know, but uh, but that's my point. My point is that like that was the that was the chase, right? The chase was yeah. getting characters, not gear. I think getting gear that's what makes it so challenging with single player games in 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 the West for. RPGs is that you're not really collecting anything without the collection mechanic of some sort. It's going to be really challenging to get, convince people to acquire, right? To spend, you know. So, yeah, the monetization aspect is going to be the most difficult because there, yeah. the, there's emotional attachment to characters, not so much to gear. I mean, I haven't really seen a. I mean, is there a gear-based model out there that that's successful? I mean, I, I lineage to some degree in in Korea. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's a, PvE <laughs> games use gear-based models, right? Because they need to. You can't yeah. do a character-based model in that. In that. Yeah, and I, and I think they're, they're, they're pulling out the most compelling feature for monetization in these type of games. And the ironic part is that they know this, right? Because, I mean, they should know it, right? Because they had a successful, well, relatively successful MOBA on mobile um, because none of the MOBAs <laughs> are successful on MOBA, on mobile, but in the West. Uh, anyway, I, I yeah, it's really... I think it's going to be a big challenge, right? Monetization wise. Uh, isn't Arena of Valor making decent decent money in the West? No. Is that, no, okay. it's not. No. Right. And I would just say, like, with the hero based model, right? Over time, players really only pick like a few characters that they actually play as, right? So you end up with a cap spend. And then yeah. if you're actually trying to drive a lot of revenue from cosmetics, you now have to create a cosmetic skin for every single playable hero in that game. And if you're trying to, you know, launch a hero every quarter or faster than that, right? Like uh, Rainbow Six Siege with two every quarter, right? And you're splitting up your cosmetics, right? It's just kind of a capped system. And I think like Fortnite was designed well in terms of not going with the hero-based model because now every single time they drop a new cosmetic, it's relevant to every single player. Anybody can pick up and play it. So I think that element is compelling if you're going deep on a cosmetic system. Um, as well with gear, what's nice is if you drop a new helm or you drop a new thing that is very compelling to all players, right? Um, then whatever you know monster that they're playing at is still relevant. Um, one thing that they have is that instead of it being, say, character-driven, they do have monsters that you can turn into that function similarly to characters, right? Um, so that could be a way of oh, there we go. emotional yeah, yeah. attachment. Um, but I agree with you. It's not going to be the same thing as buying a character directly. I just think that characters directly is kind of a capped system. Yeah. So to your point, Adam, there are definitely challenges with a character-based system, but at least we know it works from a monetization perspective. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> just looking at this article, the thing that I was most impressed by was the $71.5 million since 2012. So we definitely got to give it up to these guys for... That exec team, man, impressive. They're able to raise that much money and they've been at it for this long. Jeez, wow, that's incredibly impressive. There's uh, Some of my friends are invested in these guys. So every time I talk about this, they go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe is just jealous. <laughs> but yeah, no, I absolutely would not. No one would give me $70 million over eight years. <laughs> no, this is, but this is, a, we've talked about this. This is like a triple A team. They're an amazing team. I just think they created the wrong game for the wrong, uh, the right game for the wrong platform. Yeah. So anyway, I'll get to mine in a minute. Sure. But from my perspective, just looking at the, you know, so it's hard to make any kind of conclusion just watching game trailer videos and things like that. But just from the video, 
it does to me very much look like, as Adam mentioned, sort of a cross-platform Brawl Stars, but with pastel colors and Fortnite art influence. So not to say that games are all about art, but that's for me, that's kind of what, what jumps off at first glance. And so from my perspective, the only thing that I'll say here is that I am worried. It's weird seeing a bunch of the same character just running around, like seeing five, six different versions of the same character. That just seems a little bit boring. And I definitely do worry about their gear monetization system. So, and I also think that, you know, the cross-platform stuff, while great to pitch VCs who don't understand games very well, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, you're really successful primarily on a single platform, right? Like Fortnite makes most of its money on, on a PC console, not on mobile. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of money being made on mobile, but on a relative basis. Eric? Well, by the way, this does confirm what we were saying the last time we talked about this company where, you know, they gave up their their game to the rogue guys. Uh, and we basically said that, oh, it's likely be- because they're working or concentrating on something else um, and, and, you know, obviously building a game like this. So I guess that's good uh, that they're, they're doing something new and moving on from the failed idea of putting a mobile on mobile. Um, but the- it's not failed, Eric. <laughs> Come on. So MOBAs make a ton of money in Asia and even in the West. Like I actually I just remember Mobile Legends Bang Bang, top 100, 150. So I wouldn't in, in the West. So I wouldn't say it's 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 a failure, right? Okay. If you look at the <laughs> carry-on of products that have been out there, like the 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 Star Wars game, the Marvel game, the those were just bad games. Arena Valor game. Uh, Arena I think there's Valor like, is making money, right? Arena Valor made nine, $10 million on 2.5 million installs. <laughs> I right, mean, let me look this up. It's like over the last two years, right? Anyway, um, I am not, I'm not going to apologize for my opinion on MOBAs. So <laughs> the, um, the good news here, I think, generally speaking, is they're actually making it for the right platform, right? So they're PC, hopefully it's PC first and, and mobile as a distant, distant, distant second. Um, hell, you can put it on console for Christ's sake, not not on mobile. But uh, I, I just I'm just going to go back to my other point. I think the gear system gets super complicated. It gets super hard to balance, and with a gazillion different permutations of, of what that would be. And the meta becomes the optimizing around gear gear sets or gear combinations. And I don't think that's as sexy as as, as buying you know as buying new characters for the Western markets. And I think. That has been proven kind of all, over and over again. Uh, so, you know, we shall see. You know, I think these are two really talented developers uh, that made a great game for the wrong platform. And now, hopefully, they can make a great game for the right platform and justify the $71.5 million that they've received so far. Because I don't think they've actually generated very much money for that $71 million yet. So, all but right. Even still, like you watch that video, it looked like a mobile game first to be honest right like hey, the, i'm giving it, i'm it giving might, you a better for the doubt mr negative nelly over there come on sorry like it it, it looked like they used the engine from vainglory right I know, it really did and it, it's a top-down fortnighty kind of look sure but i just don't i just don't see this being super compelling on pc um and console sure but it would be it's like an xbox live arcade game <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean that that to sound really, really negative. I it's just like like in terms of of the fidelity that you would expect on PC console, it's just not there. Hey, I'm trying to be fair and balanced here, okay? You know, I gotta throw, you know, something positive out there. So anyway, you're right. The my first instinct and my first note on this looks like this looks like the game, the identical game that failed on mobile. 
<laughs> because you're right, the game looks exactly the same. But we'll see. We'll see if they can pull it off. I, I, I'm just I saying, like, it looks like they're going to be mobile first and then PC console second, right? Like, just by the way that they're setting this stuff. Stop it. Don't do that. <laughs> All right. Whatever. Anyway. All right. The next Go article where? is about Xbox again. And I think you see a theme here is that, as I said earlier, Microsoft is leading the charge in terms of PR around these new consoles. Sony is really, really kind of keeping things quiet and, and reserved. And, and again, partly because they are in the driver's seat, right? And they don't have any real incentive to really push the envelope here. But um, so Phil Spencer did an interview on CNBC and he basically says, uh, and I quote, there could be some impact to the Xbox Series X schedules, but the teams are doing a very good job with where keeping the hardware on track. Overall, we're in line with where we thought we'd be. And but he did say though that the potentially some game production would be impacted. So we are going to see a big reveal this week on Wednesday uh, for the games for the console, uh, focusing on third party. They're holding off on first party, which includes Halo, for sometime in June, I believe. Um, so I guess you know. What I think is the current situation is very simple, right? They need to make holiday, right? And even if they are feeling the pressure not to make holiday, they are in a predicament in the game theory in which they have no option, right? Because they can't take the chance that Sony comes out first. So they have to be pushing the the, the idea that they're coming out, right? Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Because... What could happen is Sony could say, hey, we can't make it. So then Microsoft would have the option of, of, of pushing it out till next year. But why wouldn't Microsoft take the chance and, and, and come out early and, get, and claim some market share? So they're in a really tough position here. So where they kind of have to come out, right? Um, so, but anyway, the point is, is I do think they actually will make holiday, right? I, I just fundamentally do. I think they, they seem to be on track. He's been relatively crystal clear on this. And... Uh, the software that he may be talking about may not even be first party, although he did allude to the fact that Halo could be delayed. But I, I just don't think that's going to happen either. Uh, but it could be more of some of the ports or some of the other games that were supposed to be there won't be there. But what I do think is that the bellwethers like FIFA, Madden, Call of Duty, Assassins will all be there, right? And, and I think the only thing that gives me pause about what he's saying is he's kind of hedging here, you know, where that maybe one of the big games may not make it. Uh, and like something like Call of Duty, like Call of Duty is like really struggling from a development perspective right now, I think. And, you know, this is more speculative than anything. So if anything were to get pushed, it would be basically a next-gen type port that, that has limited potential from a revenue perspective uh, versus, you know, their, their current-gen uh, versions. So... Anyway, my big takeaway here is that the hardware is coming. Uh, they really can't risk not coming out. And unless Mike, Sony basically says that they're not coming, which I don't think Sony would do either, I think they'll make it out in some form. And it may be just less units in the channel for the, the launch. Uh, so that's kind of my thinking. Cool. From my side, I just reading through this article and just kind of thinking about it, I fundamentally think people haven't, fully thought through the implications of this next Xbox launch. And I, I don't mean like you, Eric, but just generally people and including myself, but it felt like to your point about Phil Spencer hedging that maybe the, even the hardware, maybe the, the hardware launch, there's a non-zero chance of it actually missing. 
So, which would certainly be uh, very catastrophic. Phil Spencer was definitely calling out software, but for me, it feels like without any exclusives, given what they're doing with Game Pass and putting so much effort in Game Pass, and I think especially in terms of kind of the potentially recessionary times coming up ahead, I just personally, from a consumer perspective, don't see a big driver to be buying an Xbox relative to PlayStation, right? You've got all these exclusives. And so I kind of worry that, and and maybe I'm being a bit hyperbolic here, but you know, during the last console war, Sega tapped out and just became a games publisher. I'm wondering if this thing doesn't go well, whether this is the moment in time where Microsoft also kind of transitions to becoming a game software platform and publisher and just focus more on Game Pass in the future. Actually, I'm not going to say that that couldn't happen. Yeah. I, I think they're going to give it a a massive go this generation and if it sure. doesn't work out that's certainly possible but they're not going to throw in the towel with all the money all the all the all the uh companies that they've acquired all the game development they've done and 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 all the r&d that was put into this xbox i mean the r&d cost for building new consoles is, is tremendous right so they're not going to give up that easily and it really, well, I, really... I mean i'm not saying they're going to ditch this next console right okay. <laughs> i'm not okay. saying the one is this the last stand is, is kind of what I'm asking. Like if this thing gets botched. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, there, there's been speculation over the years, uh, particularly when the new CEO took over at Microsoft that they would just completely abandon this because it wasn't part of their core strategy of focusing on services and, you know, and, and cloud and all the other crap. Uh, but to some degree, this has actually kind of been kind of morphed into the cloud services <laughs> <laughs> and, and all this stuff, right? Subscriptions, et cetera. So it is now kind of seems to be part of their core strategy or certainly not where they're most profitable and not what's fueling the stock rises, rise. But, but you know, we'll see. From my perspective, it's just more about like the consumer value prop, right? Oh, You're no, going to no, buy I... a play, PlayStation because you, you have to play God of War and then the next Spider-Man game is going to be on right. PlayStation. I'm gonna, I, look, I want to be crystal clear here. Like yeah. Sony is going to win. Like the first, yeah, yeah, yeah. at least the first three years, like they yeah. have all the content, they have the momentum, they have the install base. I think there is no way, it's going to be really hard to convince Sony people to trans, transition back to Microsoft. There is no reason that anybody would move back, right? Um, because there's just no content there that makes sense. So right. I think they're going to have a tough time. I, I do think, but I do think they can innovate a little bit more on some of the the way they offer the product that could help them gain back share at the back half. So um, anyway, we'll see. We will see. All right. And I think that's basically it. Unless there's anything else, I think we are done for Twig 80. Catch you all later. All right. Later. Bye.